Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are going back to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we took a break from it for quite some time. Uh, remember that we, we started with Matthew Christmas a year and a half ago, and we worked through it, and we've been on the Sermon on the Mount now for probably, oh goodness, close to a year. Uh, we started with the Beatitudes, uh, chapter, beginning of chapter 5. We talked about how we can have our best life now, and we do that through ways such as self-denial, uh, being persecuted, forfeiting our rights. That's how we have our best life. Uh, not by getting what we want or naming something and saying Jesus is going to give it to me, but uh, going with, you know, what Jesus said. Uh, then we moved on through uh, the Beatitudes through the rest of chapter 5, and our theme was act different. We are supposed to be different than the world expects us to be, than the world is, but than the world expects us to be. Uh, we, we don't just dive off, for example, into divorce because things get rough. We, we, we are careful with our eyes, what we're looking at, and we're going to talk about that even a little bit more today. And then we, uh, when we got into chapter 6, we started talking about our relationship with the Father and how our th things, not just things, but, uh, but a lot of it is our stuff, how to give, uh, our food, how to fast, uh, and even prayer, our time, how we are to use those things and how they affect our relationship with the Father. Then we took a break, not really a break, we just spent a long time on uh, the, the Lord's Prayer. And then we got out of the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks as we looked at the Gospel and then baptism. But now we're back into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Last time uh, I preached a message from uh, this title, this series, uh, Our Relationship with the Father, was actually January 31st. That's how far back you have to go to, to pick up where we've been uh, to, uh, to, to realize that this is connected. But uh, this morning we're talking about our possessions and how our possessions affect our relationship with the Father. We, we don't really carve idols from wood anymore. Um, well, I, okay, we kind of do. Um, that is a probably hand-carved wooden yacht. Um, so, okay, we do kind of still carve idols from wood. They just don't look like gods anymore. Uh, they don't look, have faces on them and that kind of thing. They're, they're boats or they're, they're something else. We also, uh, carve them from uh, fiberglass. Um, uh, now, that's not my personal choice for a boat. Some of y'all may be deep sea fisher folk. Uh, that's not me. This would be more along what I would want, the, the, the pontoon party boat. Um, that, that's what I would enjoy. Lakes, not oceans. Uh, that would be my fun. We, we carve them from metal. Um, yeah, that's a 2016 Corvette Stingray. Um, that's, that's nice. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we carve them from glass and electronics. That's uh, currently, I think, the biggest curved TV you can get. That's two of them. Said, I could see that in the living room. I really could. Uh, 
Well, we need to get a new living room then. Well, if we put it on the other wall, it, we, it, it, it would fit. We, we'd have to, we have to rearrange some things, but that's okay. We could do it. Um, you know, we carve them from different things. Ladies, I haven't forgotten you. Uh, we carve it from pressed coal. Uh, you know, ladies, we, we, we carve it from uh, other gemstones. And I'm sure, ladies, you have other pictures you could put up there. We don't carve it from wood anymore. We do carve idols, don't we? Uh, and I could put up, you know, a million other pictures. But the reality is um, anything we value can become an idol if it takes God's place. Whatever it is. It, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be uh, a 2016 Corvette Stingray uh, or uh, a, a party boat. It, it can be something much, much less than that because what you value really doesn't have to be valuable. It doesn't have to cost a lot for you to value it, and it certainly doesn't have to cost a lot for you to put it above God. Remember, if we go back to the Old Testament, the Israelites literally, I mean, I, I love what Isaiah said in one of his passages. He, he talks to the people about how they carve idols. He says, you go out and you, and you gather wood, and you bring a stack of wood home, and you put that stack of wood in your house, and you sit down, and you pick up one stick and a knife, and you carve a god out of it and worship it, and you pick up the rest of the wood that you got in the same place, you throw it in the fire and burn it to keep warm. And, and, and yet, that's your god. Made from the same stuff that you just threw in the fire. Well, see, that, that piece of wood was not that valuable, and yet, yet they would worship it. Uh, and it's not just things. Uh, we, we think of materialism, we think of possessions merely as boats and cars and homes and jewelry and, and, and electronics and that kind of thing. But in, in reality, uh, it can be anything we place above God, including people and family. Uh, when we choose family over, uh, when we choose, yeah, we choose family, we choose the lake, we choose whatever over worshiping God with our Christian brothers and sisters, we have placed an idol in God's place. So uh, this, this passage is particularly talking about possessions and actually particularly talking about money, but it goes much deeper than that in its application. So turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you haven't already. And we're going to start in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 24. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. How do our possessions affect our relationship with God, with the Father? That's what we're looking at this morning. So let's get a couple of things out of the way first. Um, uh, really, it's only one thing. Uh, being rich is not a sin. Uh, we, we have this idea that uh, poverty is godly and, and wealth is godless, and that's not the case at all. Uh, we read time and again in the Bible of wealthy people who were godly people. Uh, in particular, we have uh, Joseph of Arimathea was mentioned. 
as a wealthy man, but he was a godly man. The, the disciples, they weren't uh, rich by any means. Some of them weren't. Some of them actually probably were. Uh, Levi was probably pretty well off, the tax collector. The, the fishermen, they were your general, uh, what we would call middle class. They, uh, they had the job, they had their own business, and, and they did okay. And then you had poverty in, in there as well, but poverty did not make you godly. Riches aren't a sin, but when wealth takes God's place, then it becomes a sin. And that would include the accumulation of it. If, if it is so important for me to be wealthy that I, don't have, I only have time for, to, to make money, I don't have time for God, well then of course, yes, that, that too becomes sinful and, and we have an issue. And that is what Jesus addresses here in chapter 6. So let's go through the passage and see what he has to say. First thing he says is, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth uh, where moth and rust destroy. The, the, he's asking you right now, where is your focus? Where, where are you putting your energy? Where are you putting your time? He wants your focus. He wants your energy. He wants your time. God understands that in today's economy, you have to work to eat. That ain't the issue. The issue is, what is your focus? Is your focus on that? Is your focus on not just getting by, not just getting what you need, but getting everything that you want? Is that your focus? Well, then, uh, then he has an issue. You, uh, you accumulate all this stuff. You spend all this time uh, working so you can buy, so you can have, so you can uh, amass this wealth, and then the smallest little thing can steal it from you. There's a reason that, that Jesus says, where moth and rust destroy. Yeah, in, in this day and age, you, you were known, uh, your wealth was known primarily by what you wore. Yeah, I mean, you, you, would have, you might have a nice house, but you didn't have a nice car, clearly. Uh, you, you didn't have the, 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 the newest electronics. It was, it was what you wore. And the finest silks, the, the whitest wools could be destroyed by just a little bitty bug, a little squishy bug. Moths aren't roaches. It's not like they just, you know, they're bulky and they last and they can take whatever. They are, there's not much to them, and yet they can take your wealth. We do it now. We, we have mothballs and cedar to keep wool garments from being eaten in our closets. They can take what you have, the smallest little thing, rust. There's some discussion on uh, what this rust is. It's, it, it, in some places, it's actually translated more like creepers. It, it, it could be talking about vermin, mice, and those kinds of things that would come and eat your crops and, and, and those kinds of things. And that's probably a better, uh, better translation of it, but rust works well, too. Uh, it, rust could get after the coins that they used that, in that day and corrode them and, and make them less valuable. And today, we certainly can relate to the rust idea because our cars rust and uh, our tin roofs rust and uh, tin roofs rust, and I'm not talking about, uh, never mind. Um, it, there's, there's, there, it's a slang term too, right? Leave it alone. Well, if you hadn't have smiled, I wouldn't have thought about it. Uh, 
so, uh, you know, Rust gets after this stuff. Keith can tell us about how Rust gets after stuff that's in the yard, can't you? Uh, if you sit in the yard, if it sits in the yard too long, it, it gets rusty. We understand that. And after a while, it's not any good. It doesn't last. It doesn't matter what it is. It, it, the Titanic, right? The boat uh, that sunk. They thought that once it got down to the bottom of the northern Atlantic in water that's right around freezing, actually maybe a little colder than that because the salt keeps it from uh, turning to ice, it takes a, a lower temperature, they thought it'll be there forever. And you know what? It's about gone. Why? It turns out not because of uh, rust, but because of bacteria that is actually eating the steel. Bacteria, microscopic organisms that are working their way in there and are just, and if it won't be long before that thing is gone completely. The Titanic, the, you know, the thing that couldn't be sunk, it sunk. Well, like, you can't get rid of it, they're almost rid of it. It doesn't last. None of it lasts. It doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter the, 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 the type of sheltered, uh, 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 hedge fund, 401c3, 5k, 10k, 24 mile, whatever you, whatever you put your money in, it's not going to last. Either the government's going to get it or your kids are going to spend it all or, or uh, there's another uh, depression and, and it's all taken away. It just doesn't last. And yet we work and work and work to collect it knowing we're not going to be able to keep it. And we're certainly not going to be able to take it with us. So Jesus says, don't collect for yourselves these treasures on earth where they can be destroyed, but instead collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. See, there are heavenly rewards. There are, uh, we, we are actually to live our lives with the goal of setting up heavenly rewards. That's what Jesus tells us right here. Don't worry about that. Instead, I want you to, to focus on heavenly treasures. Do things now that deposit things in your heavenly account for later. It doesn't sound as good. You don't get to drive as nice a car maybe here and, 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 and have the, the, the biggest house, etc. But you have these heavenly rewards that are going to last. These are rewards for doing good. Christian, we will be rewarded in heaven. We will be given things because of what we do on earth. It's not just a matter of, I got saved and I'm good and that's all I need to worry about. But our eternity, to some extent, depends on what we do on earth. I mean, we see it over and over. We see it at the, the judgment seat. We uh, see it when uh, Jesus talks about, uh, tells John about the revelation or gives him his revelation of what the future is going to be. Uh, we get rewards for things like suffering persecution. Remember we talked about these in the Beatitudes. We've got to keep that in mind. We have Jesus, while we've been, you know, nearly a year since we talked about the Beatitudes, in the passage, Jesus just talked about it a few minutes ago. 
So immediately when people, the people listening to him hear reward for doing good, they immediately go back to what he just said in the Beatitudes where we talk about suffering persecution and loving our enemies and giving generous gifts to the poor and fervent and sincere prayer and humble fasting before God. Those are the good works that we get those rewards for. And this is not related only to money. Again, if we go back to the Beatitudes, we see very little of that had to do with money, though some of it did uh, talk about it briefly. It's talking about our attitudes, our works, our day-to-day doings. What are we doing that will set up a reward in heaven for us? What are we doing that has eternal value, not just for us, but for somebody else as well? And what we see in this passage, too, is that our reward is secure, our reward is, is taken care of. If we do good, collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, you are FDIC insured at the bank, but only up to a certain amount, right? It, it does, if you've got $20 million in the bank, uh, I, I want to be your best friend, uh, but if you've got $20 million in the bank, they're not, and, and, and uh, something happens, they're not going to insure that $20 million, right? They're only going to insure, I think it's, 150,000, maybe they've raised it to 250,000, I'm not sure, but you're, if, if stock market crashes, you, 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 sorry, you're out the money. It doesn't work that way in God's economy. When we set up our treasures in heaven, it is insured. It is guaranteed that we will receive those rewards. And, and I, a beautiful picture here, I think, of, of our salvation as well, at least by implication that I had never really thought about until looking at this passage this week, that if our reward is secure, then that means our salvation is secure. I mean, f- f- imagine this, if we, if, if we could lose our salvation, let's say, say somewhere down the road, I do something that could cause me to lose my salvation. Jesus and the angels are, are walking past, and are walking along, and, and uh, they're, they're, they're oh, oh man, they get the word. Michael lost his salvation. Well, Jesus has to go and say, all right, uh, then go to Michael's, Michael's vault where he's stashed those rewards. Hopefully I've got a few. Uh, and throw them out. He's going to need them now. It doesn't really, I mean, that, that would have to happen. Our, our reward that apparently is secure based on this uh, passage where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves can't break in and steal, where we can't lose them, that is secure. This is, by implication, letting us know that so is our salvation. And it's just a beautiful picture, I think, of of how Jesus secures us in his hand. Verse 22, or rather verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. See, you will give to what you prioritize. Whether you are giving money to an organization or whether you are giving time to, uh, uh, to earn something, to, to gain a reward, you will give to what you prioritize, you will work for what you prioritize, you will spend time on that. So if your priority is wealth and possessions and getting more and more and more, that's what you're going to give your time to. If God is your focus... If your relationship with him is your focus, if, if the life he has called you to live in obedience is your focus, then that is what you're going to give your time to. That is what you are going to prioritize. 
But I'll tell you, anything but that life is idolatry. Materialism is idolatry. Seeking after those things in place of your relationship with God is idolatry. And Paul goes on to talk about it himself as well. Uh, Ephesians 5.5, Colossians 3.5, if you want to look those up later on, you can. This is not just Jesus talking about it, but throughout the New Testament, it's covered. And then the question... The question that is begged here for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The question is, if your heart isn't with God, then where is it? If you're not placing your treasure in heaven because that's where your heart is, where is your heart? And you really only have two options. You have in heaven or in hell. I mean, that's, that's the, 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 the split here. So where is your heart? Where is your focus? Then Jesus throws in verses 22, 23. At least we, we, we kind of think it looks like he threw them in. And we wonder, what in the world does this verse have to do with what you've been talking about, Jesus? Because right before it, he talks about money. Right after it, he talks about money. So clearly, right, he should be talking about money here. He says, the eye is the lamp. The eye focuses on your desires. That's what he's saying. The eye is what lights the, your way. It, it sees, it's, it's your, your, your headlights, it's your, you know about headlights, but it's, it's the lamp that directs the light. When I'm looking at something, that's my focus. And he says, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. What does he mean by good? Well, interesting, uh, good actually here, good eye is how it's uh, done in Greek, actually means single eye. It doesn't mean good. But over time, that single eye, that single focus came to mean generous. So if somebody had a good eye for you, they were generous for you, to you. But if somebody had an evil eye towards you, that usually throughout Old Testament and even extra biblical uh, literature meant that they were greedy. So that's what he's saying here. If you've got a good eye, you're generous. It, you, it's, it's obvious, and your whole life reflects that. Your whole life reflects generosity. But actually, he, he kind of he flips it on us. It's not that if you are generous, then you'll have a good life, but if you, uh, then you're good. But if you're good, you will be generous. You will have a good eye. If you are uh, evil or full of darkness, you will be greedy. See, our eye affects the entire person. See, we're, again, we're talking about focus here. If my focus is on gaining whatever I can, as much as I can, as soon as I can, then my focus is not on other people. My focus is on me and what I can get and, and my greed. And if my focus is on other people generosity, then I have emptied myself of me. Well, which one sounds closer to Jesus? Which one sounds like, remember, we are to judge each other by our fruit. But if we know of someone who uh, is, is greedy and dark and has that, that evil eye, that evil intent to always doesn't matter what the situation is, I'm going to, it's me looking out for number one here. I'm going to gain more 
and more and more. And I don't care who I step on to, uh, to do it. What are we going to think of that person? And, and, and it, it really doesn't matter what we think of the person. But again, we can base some uh, opinions of people, base scriptural, biblical, spiritual opinions on people. If someone is like that, they need Jesus. And we need to tell them. That. That's, that's where I'm getting here. Is we judge people, we judge people's fruit because we, how do we approach them? As a brother who needs to be corrected because that's our responsibility. Or as a lost person who needs to be evangelized. That's our responsibility. So when I see someone that's like that, that is my responsibility to not jump in both feet and say, wow, you're a greedy person, you're evil, and oh, you're, you're going to hell. But, you know, to bring them along and help them see. And it may take time. We're not going to talk about the method of that this morning, but clearly we can see something of their spiritual state by their willingness uh, to give or to withhold. Russell quotes a verse fairly regularly uh, about, and, and I, I don't know which one, I can't think of it now, but it's how can you call uh, each other a brother if you... That is a bad paraphrase, because it talks about giving, helping your brother too in the verse. There you go. If you see a brother in need and you don't help him, how can the love of God be in you? That's exactly what he's talking about. How deep is that darkness, he says in verse 23. How, that's just another way, of saying of how, uh, another way of saying, how can the love of God be in you? And then Jesus moves on. He leaves this passage that seems like it doesn't fit, and, but now we've got it because the folks who were listening to him would have immediately known what he meant by an evil eye and a good eye. And he ends the passage in verse 24 when he says, No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. See, the, it comes down to, folks, you have to choose. You have to choose whom you will serve. Will you serve? Because one of them is going to be a master. Right? One of them is going to control you. Materialism is a slave master. Dave Ramsey, uh, I don't, he's not quite as popular as he was about mm, 10 years ago, I guess. But uh, he's still doing okay, I think. Um, he talked about how debt becomes your master. And we see it, you know, Edda and I see it way too regularly. Uh, you, you see how you are constantly, you're having to feed that debt because for the most part, that debt is a result of I wanted this and I didn't have money for it, but I had a credit card, so I got it. And it's just that over and over and over. And then whatever comes up, it's, you know, no, no I, I don't have money, but I got the card. That's the only thing I got, so I got to do it, which makes more debt, which makes me even more of a slave to it. Materialism is a slave master. And it is not a forgiving slave master. They don't, you know, they don't just say, oh, okay. You know, it was great in the, in the Bible when every certain number of years, debts had to be forgiven. It doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, doesn't happen. So you're going to have to choose who your master is. 
Isn't it great we get to choose who we're going to be a slave to? Far too many of us, though, choose materialism. But as a believer, you are God's slave. One of the reasons I like the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which I, I preach from, and, and some of the Bibles in the pews are, are that as well, is because a lot of translations, when it got to the part where it would say that we are servants of God, the reality is that word is slave, and they translate it to the slave. Servant sounds like you've got some freedom. Uh, like you've got some, you know, I can add my own ideas. Servant sounds like I'm paid. You think of a butler. Yeah, I devote my time, but I get paid for it, and there are perks and privileges. Slave is, I don't have any of those perks and privileges. I don't get to make decisions. And as a believer, we are God's slave. So you're going to serve one uh, or the other. Now, you have to decide which one. And, and you can't serve both. You, you, can't, you can't choose both. Uh, how many people in here are uh, University of Texas fans? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to call you out. Oh, and Mark too. Okay, good. Yeah, well, you two just band together. How many of you are Aggies fans? No whooping, just Ray. Okay, how many of you are fans of both? Mark, you cannot serve two masters. Don't mess up my sermon illustration. There's no way anybody is really a UT and an Aggie fan. You just have friends that go both places. In Alabama, you are not an Alabama and an Auburn fan. Because you can't serve two masters. In, in, in Mississippi, you are not an Ole Miss and a Mississippi State fan. Because you cannot serve two masters. In Louisiana, you don't like anybody. You just like LSU. You know, we don't, uh, we don't have a, a, a rival in state, really. That's a, a simple way to show you what I'm trying to tell you. That you cannot serve two masters at all. Now, let's make that huge and spiritual and uh, life-devoting. You cannot serve God and mammon. He says. Some of your translations say mammon. Uh, others of our, our translations have translated that to money. I like the word uh, mammon because the, the, it appears that the reason Jesus said the word mammon and they leave it in, excuse me, leave it in the text is because it had become, it wasn't a real false god, but he was using this Aramaic word. When he was probably speaking Greek, he, he used this Aramaic word, threw it in there, to give money this godlike uh, uh, personality. And so he's saying, you cannot choose, you cannot serve the God Yahweh and the God Mammon. You must have, go back to verse, uh, what verse was it? Verse 22, you must have a single eye, not a double eye, not eyes that look at one thing and then look at the other. You must have a single eye. That's why he puts this passage in here about having a single eye of generosity. It's a, it's a double entendre, except not one like Johnny Carson would have done, but a good one, a, a, a wholesome one. Uh, it was one where... 
he's getting them ready to, to see that you have to make a choice. You cannot follow God, you cannot serve God and serve money or mammon. You cannot, you will have to have a single eye for one of them. And let me tell you, uh, you will serve uh, one or the other. Uh, left out the word serve there. And let me also tell you that your relationship with the Father is worth materialistic failure. It is better to be poor and devoted to God, obedient, a servant of His, than to be rich and not. Now, most of us are thinking, I'd rather be rich and obedient. I got that. I understand it. But if I have to choose, if I must select one or the other, then I will choose obedience and poverty, if that's what it means. And God may call some of us to that. May, God may call us to that, me to that. And if He does, that's fine. He may not. For the most part, most of us are going to be able to get along pretty well just fine. And really, that's all we need anyway. But if, if we have decided that we have to have less, we need to, to examine our hearts and decide, have we chosen a different God than the God we are supposed to serve? Have we chosen a different master than we're supposed to have? And money makes a horrible, horrible master. It is unforgiving. It is ungracious. It is unmerciful, and it is unfaithful. Yet we serve a God who is loving and gracious and merciful and faithful. Why would we choose one God, one false God, over that true God? Choosing this master is a choice not just daily for the Christian, though it is, and, and, and who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve my desires, my mammon God, or am I going to serve God? But it goes back to uh, desiring a relationship with this master who saves us. We're slaves to sin without Jesus. We, we're, the fact is, folks, we are going to be slaves to somebody or to something. But we get to choose to whom we attach ourselves. We can go through life being a slave to sin, and very likely a slave to money, and a slave to other people, and a slave to our own desires, and our own selfishness, and a slave to our own pain. Or we can choose to be a slave to God, where we get relief from all of those things. Where we get freedom in slavery. God's a whole basket of apparent contradictions, but it's not a contradiction to say that when we come to Christ, we get freedom in slavery. Our bondage to sin is absolute outside of Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 tells us. Everybody is bound to this, this ball and chain this damnable and damning ball and chain called sin. We all have to face that fact. And the result of that is that we will face death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 and plenty of other places make it clear that sin will kill us. And sin will kill us for eternity. 
Not temporarily, not just for a time, not a little painful, but forever. We will be dead. We will die. We will be eternally separated from God because of our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us, even while we were sinners, even while we were slaves, read Hosea sometime and see, see a, a human picture of this, of, of buying someone who is already a slave to something, willing to buy that person knowing that that person will be thankful for a while, but want to go back and forth and back and forth. God, while we were yet sinners, while we were slaves to sin, said, I am going to offer you an opportunity to overcome that. Christ died for us. And anybody who calls on his name this morning, tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, later on, Anyone who calls on his name will be saved. Romans 10, 9, or 10, 13, rather. And then if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Sin is the bondage. Sin is the master. But we can have a master who saves. This morning, as you hear the message, do you know that master that saves? Or are you still a slave to sin? We're going to sing a song. You're going to have some time to think about it. But don't put it off because, as we've talked about before, there's an eternal urgency that says you don't have tomorrow. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is your day of salvation. Choose Him today. Let's pray. Father, I thank You, Lord, that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. That we don't have to be bound to money or, or, or our desires or our fleshly nature or Satan or anything else. Lord, you have provided a way out. Lord, I thank you for that gift of salvation. And I pray that if there's someone here this morning who does not know that gift of salvation, they will trust you. Or maybe there's someone who will listen to this sermon down the road and they will respond in faith the salvation that you offer so freely and graciously. Lord, maybe, maybe this morning there's a, a Christian who struggles with possessions. It's, it's a fight between their relationship with their stuff or their, their family or, or some other idol that they've put up in their relationship with you. Lord, I pray this morning as we have a time of response that they will they will give it all up to you and say, Lord, I will, it, it's all yours. God, we have this fear that you're going to take it away. But Lord, we don't have to fear that. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Lord, if, if, they are, if, if these things in our lives are good gifts that we need, Lord, you're not going to take those away, probably. But even if you do, we can say like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego. He, you can save us, God, but if you don't, we're going to serve you anyway. So, Lord, if you take it away, we're going to serve you anyway. But it doesn't really matter. God, it's just stuff. And nothing compares to our eternity and our relationship with you. So I pray, Lord, we would be bold and, and brave enough to give it up 
to say it's yours and not ours. And Lord, right on down to our very lives, our very souls. Lord, it is yours, not ours. Speak to us in this time of response. Draw us to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe you have a decision to make this morning. Maybe there's something you need to give him. Maybe it's your life. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's some possessions. Maybe it's, I don't know what. The altar will be open for you to pray. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be down front to do that. Maybe you just want to record your decision on the connection card this morning and let, let us know what you've decided. Either way, you come, you respond as he leads, as we stand and sing.